0: If you want to know what happens at 60 and 70, <laughs> I don't know about you, but for me, I've never been one that smelled very many roses. It was petal to the floor and uh, get her done. And why, why isn't it done? And when did I want it? I wanted it yesterday. But when you get old, older, (laughs) you have to slow down. And so I find myself uh, smelling a few more roses and observing more things. And particularly when you have to (coughs) ride with your sons who like to stop and eat every 20 minutes and And so you might as well go with the flow. All right, because the pastor is gone and his class is over here today, Uh, we've been studying the commandments of the Lord. And I thought instead of the next commandment that was in line, we'll go back, we'll go to the last commandment that he gave over in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And this is where we've been taking our theme verse where he tells them in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. We've been going through the Gospels and looking at every imperative, Greek imperative, which is a command and noticing what the Lord has to say. And actually in verses 16 through 20, it's known as the Great Commission. It's the church's marching orders. And uh, actually and we'll, we'll cover this when we get to the end, but there there's actually two commands in, in this passage, and it's not the ones that you normally think it is. Uh, you that have been taught this will know that. But let's read the passage, and then we'll begin to break it down. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power, and that word power there is different than in Acts at chapter 1, verse 8, and that passage is dunamis, dynamite, ability power. This is exousia, which is authority. And so he's saying, I have all the authority in heaven and in earth, and with that Authority backing up what I'm going to say. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The first thing I want to look at here is we're, we're going to ask the question: uh, Who is he talking to, hopefully all of us today would say, well, s- surely not the Mormons, the Jehovah Witness, it's not the Hindus, it's not the Muslims, but a lot of Christianity, a lot of Baptists, I don't know who he's talking to. If you look there in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee. Of course, Judas is not with them. He's talking to eleven men. And these eleven men represent and are part of something greater than their individuality of eleven different men. If you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, we have some information given to us about these men, and it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 28, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that, miracles then gifts of healings, helps governments, diversities of tongue, not necessarily just chronological order, and only the point I'm looking at here is that he says he set them in the church, which demands for us to define things a little bit further. Again, majority of Christianity wants to say the church is called out. It's a, it means to call out. Ek, ek is out. Kaleo, to call, to call out. And they make the church to be those who have been called out of the world unto Christ. But they confuse the family of God with the church of God. There's a difference between being in God's family and being in the New Testament church. The word church really has to do with an assembly. Uh, They they gather together. Jesus said, I will build my church. And there again, uh, from the most Christianity, they think that the Holy Spirit built his church on the day of Pentecost. But Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. He gave instructions in Matthew 18 for church discipline, it had to be in existence, they had a treasure, they had a pastor, and so he, he's, uh, when he's addressing these men, he's addressing an uh, institution of the church where the body of Christ and the church of Christ are not synonymous, he says, I have put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of them that filleth all in all. I mean, I, I misspoke. The church and the body are the same, but the church and the family are not the same. And so when he's talking here, when this commission is given, he's talking to a local assembly. One is in existence at that time, and it's going to be, furthermore, every local assembly that comes out of the one that Christ started, is going to this? Uh, this uh, is going to be uh, applicable to. Me. Now, let's just do some common thinking here. If this commission, it, it, well, people say, well, no, it was given to the eleven, and so the commission was given to the apostles. Well, if the commission was given to the apostles, and we find that there's no. Uh, there's no op- apostolic succession, that there's no apostles today that then then uh, the commission is done with when when those apostles died, then there are no other apostles. And you had to have a, there's two particular requirements to be an apostle to, to, uh, and remember when they's going to replace Judas. and uh, the what he said was, You need to be eyewitnesses of his resurrection, and you need to be called and sent by God audibly. So the commission, however, when you see here in this passage, it says, even unto the end of the world or to the end of the age. And so it can't just be those 11 because the commission is to the end of the age. Secondly, people say, well, it's given to individual, individual Christians. And though we ought to give our testimony and we ought to be witnesses for Christ, every Christian, it's impossible for a single Christian to carry out this great commission. It wants, us to, it, says, it wants us to teach all men, to win, to win people to Christ, to baptize them, to teach them to observe all things, but also it's all nations. An individual cannot win someone, baptize that person, and then uh, teach them and ground them and teach them to observe all things whatsoever commanded, and at the same time be going. You can't do that unless you're like a Pied Piper and all your clan's going with you and you're teaching on the go. So it can't apply to individual Christians. That's that's uh, These two things, or in this one in particular, uh, when we say that and teach that and point that out, it's a, it's like a, a, a feast bone stuck in the craw of all uh, universal church and uh, Baptist, universal church people, the local, the uh, the uh, Bible church people. And although God honors their, God honors their, preaching wherever the gospel goes out, he honors it, they do not fall underneath the Great Commission. They have no authority. That little word power is important there. All authority is given unto me. Who do you give that authority to? Well, we're simply saying it couldn't be the apostles because they're dead. It can't be just individual Christians because they don't have the ability to do that, which brings us down that... uh, that it can't be individual Christians it'd be absurd to think that i could win someone in north pole and stay there and teach them and and at the same time be going and so the commission is given to what jesus describes and calls his church and people need to people need to get in their bible and read before uh, in 1st corinthians chapter 12 and 13 They need to read the verses before 13, and they need to come to understand that Holy Spirit baptism into the universal church is erroneous. He says over in Ephesians, there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Yet the universal church people say, no, there's two baptisms. There's a Holy Spirit baptism, and there's a water baptism. There's a universal church, and there's a local church, but they contradict the scripture. And, maybe, and as a result of that, they become freelancers. And as a result of that, they're bypassing Ephesians 3:21, which says, "Unto him be glory in the church." What is the church? Well, it's a local institution that reproduces itself into another local institution. so, what church? Well, a local New Testament church. And and I'm not ashamed to say a local New Testament Baptist church because I believe that the Baptists can trace their lineage and their history, not, not, not a date for date, but you can see what they taught in the first century and you can see what people are teaching now and there's a lineage back to Christ and even the Catholics would say that there existed before the Catholic church, those who identified as Baptists. And so history backs it up. But we don't build our doctrine on history. A lot of people like to. We build upon what the Bible has to say, and it's a local New Testament church. But that's a kind of broad. What church? Well, for us, it's 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 a, a Black Road Baptist Church. If there wasn't another church in existence in the world, as it was in this point, we, as Black Road Baptist Church, being in existence, it's our responsibility to try to reach the world. See, what happens is this. A church, a mission is started, a church is grown and organized and become independent and functioning on their own with nobody overseeing them but the Lord Himself. Mm-hmm. And they begin to grow, they go through growing pains and God helps them to develop and they may come to a place like we we did and and sending out seeing God call men to the ministry and sending them out to start churches and and uh And there's excitement in those early years. And uh, as we were talking today about, you know, 30 years old, you start to get decrepit like Chris was talking about, and 40 years old. and, And what happens in the history of a church about 40 years old, people begin to settle in. And it becomes routine. And what we do is it's expected of us. And we do what's comfortable for us. And we're dotting the I's and crossing the T's. But let me remind you, as I've talked about in these, these commands before this, these are commands from the king. And he expects Placaro Baptist Church to be burdened for the world to pray the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers to be training men and sending forth men as Paul and Barnabas went out. And Paul and Barnabas came back to the church at Jerusalem. Barnabas and Paul split and they sent out Silas. And there's a little tiny verse there that said they sent him out being recommended of the brethren attached to a New Testament church. Well, what I'm getting at is this. It's been far too long since the Lord has called someone to preach here. Mm. And that doesn't mean that you're the one on the list, the next one on the list. But it does mean this, if you're qualified, you should be willing to be the next one on the list. And so we're to send out and teach all nations and it's binding upon us. Our heart ought to be for the world. Somehow, as Jesus looked out on Jerusalem and wept over it, We ought to be touched about the condition of this world. There should be more than us for no more. We should have the heart of the Moravian missionaries years ago who uh, got on the ship thinking that they were going to go to the um, islands, Cuba and, and those islands down there, where slave owners ha- had uh, men that had never heard the gospel and had sold themselves into slavery so they could go and preach there. And uh, the relatives came down and watched the ships pull off the dock, weeping and crying because there was a great possibility that in the 1800s hundreds would never see their relatives again, that these two young men. And as they begin to pull away and they knew the sorrow of the family members, they cried out across the waves, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. When we find ourselves as a church not concerned about this world, then uh, we need revived. And so the king is giving this. I think it's important not only to understand that who he's talking to, and that he's talking to. New Testament churches Well, I think it's also important to realize at the time it was said Jesus is shortly going to go into heaven These were his last words. These are going to be weighty words the words that call our attention. And if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's no less concerned for the souls of men than he's ever been. And he wants to use men in reaching men. I talked to you about two commands and many people think the command of this verse is go where he says go ye therefore and teach all nations the command is go but that's not the command go and the word baptizing and the word teaching are all participles. And so actually, uh, we could say going or we could say in going. Teach all nations and then baptizing them And then teaching them to observe the things that he commanded. In going. Why, why is not go the command? It's not the command. If you look in, into the original language, it's really a participle. In going is it's, it's kind of uh, adverbial qualities. In going, teach, and in baptizing, and teaching. Well, I wondered about that, and, and uh, you know, I didn't come up with my own, some smarter man than me, which doesn't take too many men. But what he's saying in going, what, he, what it implies is this, that he naturally assumed that we would be going. It ought to be a natural thing for us to go, that it doesn't, we don't have to be commanded to go. But in going, and really the command of the passage is the word teach, which really means make disciples, disciple people, that we preach the gospel and God uses the gospel and people get saved. And going, were to be preaching the gospel, teaching all people. But, but he just automatically assumed that these disciples who had been saved out of sin, and had been with him for three and a half years, would want to go. They knew how how much their lives had been changed. Mm -hmm. And, And they would be going. But in going, the command is to teach all nations. It never entered into God's design that we would contemplate. Should we be... As a church, should we be involved in evangelism? Ridiculous. That's ridiculous to even consider. Yes, we should be involved in evangelism. We ought to desire to to be led like Philip down to Gaza where a person is already being dealt with by God. We ought to desire to go to places where God's working but sometimes God may send us to places that we just do the sowing and we sow and so and so and sow, but he doesn't allow us to see the crop but someone else comes along and waters and you know I think sometimes God doesn't allow us to see the crop I mean we preach we've preached for years and years and years in prison and we know of maybe two that really have been born again if you really uh, mm-hmm. believe that repentance is required for salvation. But God hasn't allowed us to see a lot of results. And I think part of the reason for that is <clears throat> is that he didn't make our arms long enough to keep patting ourselves on the back. Well, Paul watered, Paul planted, Paulus watered, but God gave the increase, and he's to be honored. He's the one that saves. We're simply doing our business. And so, these uh, words—they're—they're given in a very critical time when he's leaving the world, and he says, "This is this is your marching orders." Every local New Testament church. And we emphasize New Testament because we believe it ought to be, according to the New Testament, you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And he uses that word power. We've mentioned it. I give you the right, the exousia, the authority, the ability. What right do we have to stand on a doorstep and knock on a door and try to engage someone in a conversation about the fact that they're condemned to die, that their sins stand between them and God? We have the authority of heaven. He's given us that right and authority. But when we come to Acts 1-8, we have not only the right and authority, but he's going to give us the ability power where he says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world, of the earth. The ability power. Look, uh, look over in Acts chapter 3 and verse 7. I'm mean, sorry, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. The letters to the seven churches. I find the church at Philadelphia very commendable. He doesn't have words of reproach to them. But he says in verse 7 of chapter 3, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door that no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Behold, I'll make them of the synagogue of Satan which say they are Jews and are not but to lie. Behold, I'll make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because that, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which will come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. And there's more to the church. I don't really believe that these seven churches represent seven time periods of history of the, of the Christian movement. But I do believe there were actual churches with these actual problems. And there's principles that we can gain from every church that's stressed here. But one of the things I see and like here is that the Lord knows their works. And he set before them an open door that no man can shut it, for thou hast little strength. Oftentimes a church well and even among independent baptists the church will think that unless we have unless we have a large congregation how can we do mission work it takes a good undergirding and foundation it takes people uh, it takes a large congregation of people but he said here You have little strength. They weren't real big. But he says, I set before you an open door that no man can shut. Probably 20 years ago now, I'm not good at keeping numbers. But we had a young man come to church here from the university. And he was an agnostic, an atheist. He had questions he thought can't be answered. He had a little choker on his neck. He's a typical university student. It came for a whole year. This kept coming on Sunday. And right before, right before uh, w- summer break, he couldn't take the convicting of the Holy Spirit anymore. And after the invitation, he wanted to talk to me and a young man by the name of Noah George was saved. He went back down to Nilchik, the big city of Nilchik, worked on a fishing boat. He was Alaskan through and through. Gabonzo beans and, and uh, walnut. <laughs> well, not walnut. Uh, oatmeal maybe with some walnuts in it and pride himself on being a Spartan he comes back the next year and uh, God calls him to be a missionary to the Arab people here's our church Maybe at that time, 60 people. How can this be accomplished? We had Bible Institute. Lord would come to class and never take a note. (laughs) Write down some, but not very many notes. And I thought, okay, buddy. There's going to be a pop quiz one of these days, and I'm going to nail your hide to the wall not knowing that Noah was top of his class in the physics department at the university, had two majors that he was working on, and had a mind that retained information. When he graduated, his college professors got him a a spot in one of the universities of California. To further his physics degree and become a doctor in physics. And he said, No, God's called me to be a missionary to Arab people. And they couldn't understand that. And people can't understand how a church of 60 people could sponsor a missionary, but that's biblical. And how God could supply for that missionary. And how we could be responsible to get him on the field and if he needed to be expatriated out of that country that we could do that. And in the end, Ephesians 3.21, unto him, God, be glory in the church, the local New Testament church, not some universal body. And God got the glory. How did he get on the field? How did he get on the field? I don't know. I don't know why churches took him on for support. I don't know why he has. (laughs) I probably shouldn't say this. He's got $80,000. And he's never been on deputation hardly at all. Because God takes care of him. And God gets glory through that. And God says that He wants us to go into all the world. All power is given to Him. Remember when, remember when the church was all got together in one house and began to pray, and the Bible said that the place was shaken and with great boldness. That's the ability, power that God has for His missionaries that all power is an important word. And I think also it's very important in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it says both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. I've heard a preacher in Texas preach that you shouldn't go to Judea and Samaria and the innermost parts of the world until you've reached your Jerusalem. But he forgot a little word in that passage in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, both. At the same time, we should be concerned for souls here and for souls there. And if we can't go, we need to, someone has said we need to go, we either need to go ourselves or send a substitute. And many of these flags back on the back wall represent substitutes that we're in helping to go. And then, if you look there in Matthew again, there's another command. The one command, an imperative, is teach. Teaching, teach all nations. Going a participle, baptizing a participle, teaching a participle. But the word teach all nations is is an imperative. Make disciples. Make disciples. And then the other command is not only this word teach, but there's another command, and this is kind of interesting. It's the word low. Look at that word. Low. Low, I'm with you always. And that word low is a command. It's like, hello? Hey, wake up. Lo! Hey! Understand. He's commanding us to understand that he's with us. This is not something that we're doing in our own flesh, in our own energy. That I'm with you. God is with us. That's how Genoa got to the field. That's how Ron Lambert went down to the Nielchik and started a church there. And it's really becoming... More and more of a New Testament church. It's growing. Keeping on, keeping on. Well, is it worth it is, for him to be in such a little, little place? That's no hill check. Well, for me, it's worth it because of Rishon and Wesson and Ada. Evans and my seven grandchildren that go there—they need the gospel. First Corinthians, Paul wrote to that church at Corinth, and he said, "For you, we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. That God is with us. Lo." Now let me speak to you. I try to maybe tickle your heartstrings a little bit. Not always good at that. But not only is there appeal from heaven, and that appeal being an appeal from above, but God being God in the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is concerned for the world. He's appealing to our hearts, and he's saying through Paul, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? That is written, how beautiful or the feed of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. God appeals to us that people cannot be saved. People will not be saved. This whole idea about leave the heathen alone because, you know, I mean, this is what, <laughs> you're hearing stuff like this coming out of the Billy Graham Association, that, that you know, that somehow i got to believe that they have, they're, they're going to go to heaven because they, they have their own belief system. No, listen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Salvation is only in Jesus Christ. And so there's an appeal from heaven. Go to all the world. How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they go unless they be sent? not only called by God and sent, but sent by a local New Testament church. Study out the book of Acts. They always reported back to the church in Antioch. They were attached to a New Testament church. L.R. Scarborough, in his book, With Christ After the Lost, said, to refuse to witness of a saving gospel to a lost world day by day is nothing short of high treason, spiritual rebellion, An inexcusable disobedience to God's holy commands. This is a command. Look over in Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, there's an appeal from above, but there's also an appeal from below. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 27, This is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And no place in this account, no place in this account does it say it's a parable. And the rich man says this. He he asks, he's concerned for those that he left behind and he's wanting God to send the beggar. You think, to think about that beggar, you've got to understand that he, he sat at the rich man's gate. And his family came in. He's, talking, he's going to ask about five brethren. But his family came in. Those five brethren had been by. Surely they'd been by the beggar. And he says, then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, talking to Abraham, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. When we think about witnessing, when God has burdened our heart about a person down the road or a person at work or someone that he would burden you about sending a tract to or writing a letter to, There's an appeal which we don't hear, and we kind of put it behind us. But there's no man, woman, no gender, <laughs> two genders, in hell that's not laid upon their heart. I hope my relatives don't come here. I don't want to see them here. It's not no homecoming when one of your relatives dies and go to hell and see their other relatives there. It's heartache upon heartache. And so there's an appeal. Listen, hell is real. So real that it's warned against and used and talked about more than heaven in the New Testament. And so there's an appeal from below. And then in Acts chapter 17 and verse 16, There's an appeal from within. Acts 17 and verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. A stirring. Not only by knowing the consequences and the fate of this city in idolatry, but a stirring of the Holy Spirit. There's a there's a verse in the Bible that um, is um, unnerving. It's very unnerving if you're not in God's will about the ministry. It says, "The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance." A person can be disqualified because he doesn't meet the qualifications of a preacher. But if God has called you, he never changes his mind. When he called me, when, I, when it became very evident what he was doing in my heart. And I told you the story about being under conviction and and, and it was similar to when I was under conviction about being saved, and I bowed my head and said, Lord, if I'm not saved, I would want to get saved right now, and was just a great peace came over my life, and I knew I was saved, but I didn't understand what he was doing. Later on, as the pastor shared more about what took place there at that camp meeting that I was in and explained about a, a young man in a similar case where he knew he was saved, but he couldn't figure out what was going on. And, and then it came out that he'd been called to the ministry. I very, uh, not necessarily na- naive, but uh, very of a rebellious nature, bowed my head I was raised in Eastern Oregon, and uh, we had a little laugh yesterday coming back from fishing uh, that you can't, no need to try to tell Humphrey what to do. They're all bullheaded, which is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. But I told God, listen, God, I'm not preaching. You can kill me, but I'm not preaching. Well, let me tell you. I'm a witness today that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Yeah. It was an appeal from within. Remember remember, Jeremiah said he's going to shut up, he's going to quit preaching? And he said it burned within him and he could not stay. He had to, he had to say something. And so there's an the appeal from within. And then Surely you can see there's an appeal from without. John 4.35 says, Say not ye. Aren't you saying? Isn't this what you're saying, guys? Say not ye. Aren't you saying this? There are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields for already, they're white already to harvest. The had tells us uh, when I grew up, my world was Eastern Oregon and I liked it. And I never wanted to leave it. And it was all I needed. But if you lift up your eyes and look a little bit, you can see that There's a needy world, a needy world. And let's not think that we're superior because we're United States citizens. Let's go back to the little simple song. Red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. There's not a child in this world that he doesn't love as much as he loved you before you were saved. And so there's an appeal from without. And so as we examine this last command, we're commanded as a New Testament church, as members of a New Testament church, to be engaged and teaching all nations. That may be through the workplace, it may be through neighbors, it may be through organized evangelism, it may be through supporting missionaries, it may be through praying the Lord of the harvest that He'd raise up preachers. And it may be all of those things. It should be all of those things. It may be you realizing that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And you might as well get on board and allow God to work through you. But it is a command realize he's commanding us, the great hope of this verse is this, he's commanding you to understand. Low, get it. Low, understand. Come on, wake up, low. An imperative that he's with us. That He's not really even asking us to do all the work <laughs> or even a major part of the work. See, I used to think for, I mean, it seemed like you're dumb. I tell you, I mean, uh, I'm, I was dumb about many things. But I used to pray, Lord, uh, help us. Lord, bless this. Lord, do this. And I used to think, I'm working for the Lord. I'm working for the Lord. When he says, Come unto me all ye weak and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And what he's saying is, we put a yoke on. He's the guy that knows. He's the draft animal that's been there. He knows which way to turn. He knows when to stop. And when he turns, we just go with him. And so I've been asking the Lord, Lord, give me the pleasure. And give me the joy and give me the opportunity to work with you and not for you. You see, we get all these plans, we go through them, and we want the Lord to do something. Bless our plans, Lord. When we ought to be saying, Lord, I want to work with you. I want to know which way to turn. I want to be following you and a yoke with you. And man, when we think like that, all the pressure goes off of us. And you see, I just get to enjoy the fellowship. Not that there's not battles to fight, but you're fighting them with the Lord. And as we're going to see in Sunday School to uh, search today, he, The Lord gives us a promise, and he said, I will fight for you. Mm. Yeah. All right. You're dismissed.